Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. An absolutely gorgeous day in Avondale, Arizona, and it should be. This is the biggest day of the year. The championship four will be decided. Five drivers will be fighting for one spot. Green flags in the air in Phoenix. 312 laps, 312 miles on this very oddly shaped one-mile racetrack. Comes aboard of Kevin Harvick, won so many times at this racetrack. Well, the 42 goes by the 11 easily. Will win stage one in Phoenix. Over the tension, knowing what's on the line. You're... There's an opportunity. Look how aggressive that is, how rough it is with Jimmy Johnson and Duvall. The tires are done. Brad's looking for any ideas at this point. Here comes the 24 of Chase Elliott. Into the wall goes the 11. The championship hopes going up in smoke. Here comes the 20 of Kenson. White flag goes in the air. A lap to go at Phoenix. The 45-year-old. Vince is going to win at Phoenix. We have been waiting, and now we know the championship four is set. Next Sunday in Miami, three former champions and the dominant driver of 2017 will battle for the title. Brad Kozlowski joins Kyle Busch, Martin Truex Jr., and Kevin Harvick in what some are calling the best championship four since the start of this playoff format back in 2014. Welcome into NASCAR America, everybody. Carol Lamano and Dale Jarrett, Nate Ryan with you today. Jeff Burton also joining us from his garage. We are going to get into Chase Elliott and Denny Hamlin in just a moment, and we'll spend some time on it, I promise you. But let's start with something that Jeff said on Sunday's telecast after Matt Kenseth won at Phoenix. Look at the number of drivers showing Matt Kenseth the respect, the appreciation for what Matt Kenseth has done in this sport, the appreciation for how good he still is. You're telling me this guy didn't have a ride next year? It's ridiculous. Jeff, that was a powerful statement at the time. You stand by those thoughts today? 100%. I, I believe that uh, when you have a guy like Matt Kenseth that has a talent that he has uh, and still wants to do it, uh, to, to say there's not a place for him is, is very, very odd to me. Uh, don't get me wrong. There's not some kind of conspiracy trying to keep Matt Kenseth out, but it's just shocking to me that a car owner hasn't looked, a car owner with really good equipment hasn't looked and said, you know what? My program isn't exactly right. I know Matt Kenseth's not a long-term solution for me, but there's so much young talent coming into the sport right now. You could put Matt Kenseth into your program for a couple years, solidify that program, know exactly where you are, then bring that young guy in. And Matt Kenseth has set that young guy up. He could tutor that young guy. He could mentor that young guy, and he would love to do it. And, and, and I just think that it's crazy that there's not that situation out there and uh, I'm still not convinced that there won't be. I, I, I'm still not convinced that strange things happen in this sport. But it's clear Matt Kenseth is not going to drive a race car that's not capable of winning, nor should he. Uh, he's earned that right to do that and make that decision. And uh, I, just, I just find it very, very odd that the sport's at a place where there's not a 
not a position for a guy like Matt Kenseth. The business side of this, Nate, came in so fast. And because of that, he has not had an opportunity to have that send-off moment that we've seen other Hall of Famers, future Hall of Famers have. Was this that moment? I, I think so, Carolyn. And he's lamented that, the fact that he came in as a contemporary of Dale Earnhardt Jr. They came in the, the same season, 2000, as rookies. Matt Kenseth actually was rookie of the year that year. And now they're both going out, it seems like, the same year, but only one is doing it by choice, and one is getting the farewell tour and being feted. And I think Matt Kenseth wanted that, not because he wanted the big celebration, all the attention. He's not that kind of guy at all, DJ. He just wanted to be able to dictate his own terms. And I think that, as you said, Carolyn, this is the closest he's going to get to that. And that emotion that we saw, the fist pump, the getting on top of the hood, I think that showed that Matt Kenseth knows there's probably only two races left in his career, well, one race now, and that this was maybe the last time he's going to win, and this is the great way to put a period on a career. Yeah, it was such a great feeling yesterday about this. Yeah, we're there to see who was going to be the fourth driver in the championship for, and Matt Kenseth stole the show. And it was great to see, uh, fun to, to listen to him talk, fun to see Matt Kenseth get emotional. You know, we know he has that in him, uh, but it, it was great to, to see all of that. I, I agree with Jeff in, in the way that a car owner – out there is missing the boat for a couple of reasons. Matt Kenseth, since he's come into this sport, has made every organization a better organization uh, when he went there as a driver. He won races. He's been great for the sponsors. You can see he talked about the couple of sponsors uh, uh, that he's had with him for, for extended periods of time through his career. Not only has he made the organization better, but he's made the other race drivers better. So just as Jeff is pointing out there, if someone has a young driver that they want that feels like they need a little bit of tutoring and mentoring along the way to get them to that point, then Matt Kenseth is the perfect person. Plus, who knows, he might win you a championship still, so uh, somebody's missing out. Hopefully, as Jeff said, that opportunity might be just around the corner. It was him. a big moment and one that may turn the tide down the line. We're going to have more on the emotional win later. For now, though, let's dive into the Denny Hamlin-Chase Elliott issue. Here is how things unfolded on Sunday. Denny Hamlin all the way down, cutting the corner, trying to get by the two. He does. He clears the 24, excuse me, of Chase Elliott. Now Chase Elliott puts the bumper to the back of the 11. What would Chase Elliott do? Is he going to run the 11 up the racetrack to try to take the position back? I think he's giving him two warning shots that listen. Three spots up there is my ticket. I'm going to do whatever it takes. These are two little shots to let you know I'm going to try to come by. Over 130 miles an hour as they enter turn three, and Bumper goes to the back of the 11 again. Way up the racetrack. Oh, into the wall goes the 11. The 24. Pinch the 11 into the wall. You heard the crowd, and now tire smoke coming out of the 11. A seven-tenths of a second lead over Martin oh, Jr., and there went the tire. The 11 goes into the wall. And as we saw earlier with the 48s of Jimmy Johnson, that could be the championship hopes going up in smoke for Denny Hamlin. Well, we had a fast car all day. We, um, we, did, we did essentially our job. Um, all day long, uh, we put ourselves in good position. Uh, things just didn't work out there at the end. You apologized after Martinsville, Denny. Were you hoping that would prevent something like the racing out here the way it was today? Um, I mean, you know, each person has their own 
opinion of, of how they do things, and, and it just proves to the people that thought I was a bad guy that you know he would do the exact same thing under the same circumstances. So, I mean, you know, it's just it's part of racing. It's you know I got into him, he chose to retaliate, and so I'm in the garage, and you know that's the way it is. So, you know, we had a great job. We did a great job all day. I, I mean, this is the best car I've had uh, in a very long time. We just got behind on pit stop. And then uh, that just gave those guys an opportunity to get close. You won't get to race for the championship next week. Will you put some of that on yourself for Martinsville, Danny? Not really. Uh, you know, no, I, I won't. But, you know, um, we'll, we'll do the best we can to go out there and win uh, Homestead and uh, make sure our competition doesn't. Such a bummer. We were so, so close to having another shot next week. But, uh, man, I can't say enough for for my team and, and our Hooters Chevrolet this weekend. We uh, fought really, really hard today and, and uh, gave ourselves a chance. Our car was really fast on those on those short runs after uh, after a after a caution and, and after guys had put cycles on tires and it fired off really good and we had been pretty good on the short run all day and got really tight as, as the run went along. And once the rubber laid back down, I was just hanging on and hoping I could get to traffic before I started going away. Um, but man, that that is such a bummer. I uh, I was telling my guys, I we'll get it right someday, or I'll get it right someday. We had so many good opportunities, and you know, at some point we just got to close. Chase, we saw a lot of hard racing between you and Denny Hamlin there for that position. Were you thinking of Martinsville in that moment? Oh, well, I mean, I'm gonna race guys how they race me, and keep a smile on my face regardless. So uh, happy to to race guys how, how they choose to race me, and um, so I see it. Just consider this for a moment. Before the incident, Denny Hamlin had two paths to the championship four. He could have won the race and advanced automatically, or he could have finished in the top 15, as it turned out, and he would have advanced on points. But he finished 35th, and he was eliminated. Before we get into who was right and who wasn't, and is this business, is this payback, I'm wondering why Denny Hamlin didn't just let Chase Elliott pass him in that moment, DJ. Uh, I thought the same thing as a race driver, why he was even putting up a battle with someone uh, that we all knew there was potential there because it was just a few short weeks ago that, that things escalated to uh, a bad situation at Martinsville with him. So why would you race this person that it didn't make any difference? You know, Yesterday on our pre-race show, I said that I thought Denny Hamlin was coming in here with the least amount of pressure and that he was going to get the job done. He goes out in the first two stages and does everything that he needs to do. He's doing well in the third stage. By then, he had set himself up to where all he had to do was beat the two car. So I didn't understand why he was letting the 24 affect him. If the 24 was going to pass him and take this and go on up and win the race, well, he couldn't do anything about that anyway. You couldn't hold him back right there. So just focus on the two car, which was what your focus was all day long once he had lost a, a little bit of the track position there. Didn't seem like his car was quite as good. But I don't understand why they weren't telling Denny more about Hey, this isn't your battle here. Your battle is back here, still behind you. That's all you have to worry about right now. And I think that's it, DJ. If you, if you listen to the radio traffic on the 11 channel, there wasn't a lot of communication telling Denny Hamlin, look, Brad Keselowski is behind you. At that point, Brad Keselowski just catapulted into the top 10 because of some shrewd strategy calls there by his crew chief, Paul Wolf to pit during a caution, out of sequence a little bit from some other cars. He got from mid-teens to into the top 10, and he was in Denny Hamlin's mirror, I think, for the first time pretty much yeah. all race. And, of course, Denny Hamlin had been out front all race. So he had that to think about. And then I think he also 
had on his mind probably that he's battling Chase Elliott for third, and Chase Elliott is fast. And if Elliott gets by him and gets to the win, then it's game over either way. Denny Hamlin has no shot of advancing at points at that point. So I think you're right, DJ. I think there was probably some doubt that had been planted there that was creeping into Denny Hamlin's mind that might have affected the way he chose to race Chase Elliott. I can understand the last part of that. But, Jeff, whose job is it to make sure that he is aware of the situation as it relates to the playoffs? Is How much falls on him and how much falls on more radio communication to maybe say, hey, give, give this up? Yeah, there was, a, there was a communication earlier, you know, that said, hey, you know, what you've done in the stages, we pretty much are tied right now uh, with Keselowski. And I do wonder, you know, when he saw Keselowski in his mirror, Nate's point was that, you know, through, through pitch strategy, Keselowski had gotten to where he was about three or four cars behind Denny Hamlin. But, but what really confuses this to me is when I, you know, on, on social media, I saw Wills, the crew chief, and Chris Lambert, the, the spotter, make comment that Denny Hamlin was trying to let Chase Elliott go and, and that Chase Elliott wouldn't let him let him go. But I, I don't possibly see how that's accurate. I, 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 when you come off with corner side by side with a guy uh, at, at a tight racetrack, it's not Michigan, it's Phoenix. That's not letting the guy go. And I, I think that, you know, DJ and I talked earlier, he used the phrase situational awareness. That wasn't used in this situation. It, 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 there was a bigger picture. Uh, you know, Steve Letard and I made comment before this re- accident happened on the broadcast that Denny Hamlin and Chase Elliott had two completely different agendas at this point in the race. And Chase Elliott really had nothing to lose. If he didn't win this race, he was not going to move forward. Denny Hamlin didn't have to win the race because of the great job that they did in the first two stages. That put you in two completely different situations. And, and I just don't think Denny... And the 11 team, they just didn't respond to, to the great work that they had done in the first two stages. They had no reason to race Chase Elliott. They needed to just let him go. And if you want to let somebody go, you just get on the brakes and let them go. I mean, once, once, once the 24 is underneath you, just get on the brakes and slow down and let him go. I'm sorry, it's not that hard. So I can understand if Denny Hamlin says, you know what? I saw that two car in my mirror. I didn't know if he had made his car better. I didn't know that he, you know, that he couldn't come up and pass us. I get that. But if you think you were better than the two and you were still racing the 24, that was not a good decision. Yeah, I think there just wasn't enough communication there. That's why we talk about the the crew chief and the spotters having all of this uh, opportunity to talk with their driver. I think they should have let Denny Hamlin know in this situation that, hey, the two is still who you're racing here. Don't be messing with this. That that And the 24 car had proven throughout the day that he could go fast for a certain period of time, just like Chase said, but it wasn't a long-run type situation. So I, I think that... More of this falls. I, Denny Hamlin did a tremendous job as a driver there. Uh, now, once he lost the lead, I don't know if his car changed that much. Uh, he said, you know, the pit stop put him behind, and he never recovered from that. So that's how he got in that situation. But as a driver, he did everything you could possibly ask of him in that situation until right then. And, and I think if he would have been made more aware that, hey, the two was there, Simply because of pit strategy, he was not going to be around there very long because that's the only way that they got there. Then he might have been able to, in his mind, to process this a little bit better. There's just so much going on. It's easy to sit here, and it was easy for me to sit and watch the race yesterday and say, what are you doing? Because I knew the situation. But as a driver, you're just focused. You're in there trying to get everything you possibly can, and it's hard to know everything that's going on around you. Of course, when stuff like this happens, this particular incident, Jeff, everybody on social 
social media, all the fans, they immediately wanted to link this to Martinsville, and rightly so, because those are the questions that we were asking these two drivers after the race, and they responded that this was in their mind. But was this a situation where it's all business and Chase Elliott was going, you know, for the shot to make it to the championship for, or do you believe that that retaliation was very much at the forefront of his mind? So, so retaliation has a connotation of it it means that I'm going to wreck a guy no matter what and that's not what happened here Chase Elliott was willing to do things with Denny Hamlin that I don't think he was willing to do three weeks ago what happened at Martinsville Chase Elliott felt like Denny Hamlin made the rules Denny Hamlin was willing to push push Chase Elliott into the corner and turn three at Martinsville and 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 Chase was not able to hold keep control of the car and he wrecked so in Chase's world hey I got wrecked I got wrecked because Denny Hamlin was trying to, to, to get by me to win the race, which would move him to Miami. Well, guess what? If he was willing to do that to me, then I'm willing to do that to him. And it's just that simple. You heard Chase Elliott clearly say, I'm going to race people the way that they race me. And that's the, that's the golden rule, right, DJ? That's what, yeah. that's, what we, that's what we talked about when we were racing. That's not a new concept. Race people the way that they're going to race you, meaning you don't race everybody the same. And, and – so clearly to me, Martinsville was on Chase Elliott's mind because he didn't get into him once or twice or three times. He got into him several times, and it was because there was a big picture. He didn't go in there and just say, I'm going to wreck Denny Hamlin. You know, that to me is what payback is. Payback is I have nothing to gain here, and I'm just going to wreck that guy. Chase Elliott decided, you made the rules. Now you're going to have to abide by them. I have something big to go gain, and I'm going to do what I have to do. That's, that's to me was clearly the message uh, watching the race and then also hearing what Chase Elliott said after the race. Well, to play devil's advocate a little bit here, Jeff, on, on who makes the rules, and I understand where you're coming from on saying, you know, what Denny Hamlin did at Martinsville, that essentially set the table for how Chase Elliott reacted to him at Phoenix. I think you could argue, though, and this was on social media a little bit last night, if you look back to Martinsville and look at how Brad Keselowski was raced by Chase Elliott on this restart, when Chase Elliott took the lead, I mean, he didn't hesitate to move him. And that occurred before the Denny Hamlin situation. So I feel like there's there's layers to this beyond just simple retaliation between the 24 and the 11. I think, you know, what happened here with Chase Elliott, did he set the rules here by moving Brad Keselowski out of the lead? And then I think also the, the bigger picture here, I think NASCAR has made the rules here, DJ. I think yeah. the, the fact that you have a championship structure now where it's winning you're in, I mean, I understand there are driver codes and etiquettes and things that probably I'll never understand the way you and Jeff do, but I think that they're changing on an almost you know weekly basis <laughs> during the, the course of the playoffs the last four years. And I think that drivers are put now in untenable situations where they have to make ethical decisions that they didn't have to make in the past, and, and they make them, and I don't know if they think about them the same way. Yeah, well, first off, Chase Elliott came into this race knowing that he had one chance of advancing to be part of the championship four, and that was winning. And if there was anybody in his way, he had he told me on Friday he was willing to do whatever it took. Now, did he give a little nod over to the 11 car that he might get a little more than someone else? Yeah, he did that. But I think that the way that he raced him, but I think he showed Denny early in the race when they were battling for the lead that he was willing to put the bumper to him at that point in time just to get by. So to think that he wasn't going to do whatever it took at this point uh, to, to move him there. I don't think that, as Jeff says, this wasn't a total retaliation, total 
total payback. This was the fact that you raced me this way in Martinsville. This is how you set the, the stage. This is how we're going to do things from this point forward. This isn't going to stop this weekend. This isn't over. This is how these two are going to race each other for the rest of their careers. I understand that distinction, Jeff, that you made about payback versus being in a place that's advantageous and now being given the green light to take advantage of that situation. But what about what Nate just said, that maybe he established the ground rules with the way that he raced Brad Kozlowski before that incident with Denny Hamlin? Well, I think that's fair. And I think Denny Hamlin made that point, you know, last, you know a couple of weeks ago. I said, hey, Chase Elliott, Move, move the two car out of the way, and the two car wasn't happy about that. You didn't hear a lot of, you know, a lot of public complaining about it, but you saw it during the race. You saw it on the pit box. Uh, you know, Keselowski and his team, they weren't happy about that. But the difference is, who else did Chase Elliott move in this race other than Denny Hamlin? You know, he had to pass several people, and the only person I saw him really lay the bumper to every time he got to him was <laughs> Denny Hamlin. So, to me, that was, that's clear indication. And also, remember, this, this, this wasn't for the lead. Right? He yep. moved Denny Hamlin. That wasn't for the lead. That was to get that spot. He, Denny Hamlin moved him for the lead. Uh, so a little bit, a little bit different. And listen, I in no way am I saying that Chase Elliott wasn't willing to move somebody out of the way to give himself a shot to go to Homestead. But he had a permission slip from Denny Hamlin. He, had, he was given, you know, Denny Hamlin in Martinsville walked up and said, here, you got a permission slip. And that's, that's a big difference in my eyes. He apologized. But, but something, something else, Carolyn? Yeah. You know, I think the fans tend to think that because Denny Hamlin did what he did at Martinsville, he's a bad guy. And because of what Chase Elliott did at Phoenix, he's a bad guy. That's not fair. These are highly competitive people that are driven to win a championship in a format that Nate just mentioned that puts you in compromising situations. It makes you do things out of character. It makes you do things that you wouldn't have done because there's so much on the line and you've spent a lifetime trying to get it. It doesn't mean they're bad people. It means they're trying to win a championship in a system that's going to push you. It's going it, it, to, we're in, we're in uncharted waters here. And, and the rules, the unwritten rules are being defined as we, in front of our eyes in a brand new system. So appreciate the fact that you have people that are willing to go out and give 100% and put themselves and their competition in compromising situations trying to achieve a goal. Now, you can hate them and you can cheer for them. That's what sports are about. But I don't think that people should say, well, that guy, he's a bad guy. He has a bad heart because of something that happened on a racetrack. Things happen on the racetrack and you behave more, you behave differently in competition than you do in real life. And if you don't, no one's coming to your funeral when you die, when you're 90 years old, uh, and you won't have friends. But when you put that helmet on, you've got to be a different person. You have to have a different personality. Yeah, I think we all said and came to an agreement that we didn't necessarily agree or didn't agree with the way that Denny uh, wrecked Chase at Martinsville. There, there are other ways to pass a car, you know, and, and we'd seen it happen there that very day. That wasn't saying that we didn't like Denny Hamlin or he was a bad person or not a good driver for any of that. It just was the wrong time and the wrong situation for something like that to take place. And for what Chase did yesterday, uh, however you want to look at it, he's not a bad person. They're both really good people and they're outstanding race drivers. But the biggest thing, as Jeff is pointing out, it, it, a lot of times people that are out there 
that, that have never been in that situation, you don't understand. It's hard to explain it because if you haven't been there, it's hard to explain just the, how much you get ramped up and revved up to make a pass, to do things, to, to try to get your way to the front, to do what it's all about now in particular, and that's winning the race on Sunday because that gets you ba- battling for a it's championship. It's very hard for regular humans to understand <laughs> what is happening that, in these yeah, playoffs. Yeah. No, we it's are true. a different breed, no, I'll say that. It's true. In a lot guys of ways. Are, you guys are a different breed. We could talk about this forever. We do have to go to a commercial break, but there is plenty more meat on the bone here on this Monday. Matt Kansas win, breaking the 51 race win the streak, just as he is about to step aside from racing from what we know of right now. Still, his sense of humor was intact in his post-race press conference, so we'll bring you that. We're also going to take a look at what went wrong for the seven-time champ, Jimmy Johnson. At age 42, can he still compete for championships? And just how did Brad Kozlowski make it into the championship four? That and much more ahead on NASCAR America. Wednesday night is rivalry night. It is an original six showdown. Ryan McDonough and the Red Hot Rangers facing off against Patrick Kane and the Blackhawks. The Rangers have won a league high six straight. That is this Wednesday at 80s from right here on NBCSN. Well, Matt Kenseth entered Sunday's race at Phoenix heading into an unclear future. And it seemed on Sunday that there was no better way to cap his career at JGR than with a victory at one of NASCAR's most challenging tracks. Here comes to the inside, the 20 of Kenseth. He's going to dive down to the dog leg to try to make the pass. Going into three. If he takes the lead away from the 24, the two will then be in the favored seat for the championship four. Matt Kenseth in front now at Phoenix. Matt Kenseth eliminated from the playoffs on a technicality. Had too many men over the wall when they were trying to fix the car. Now trying to get that win in 2017. The 45-year-old comes out of turn number four. Kenseth's going to win at Phoenix. Chase Elliott came up, bumped the back of the 20, letting him know congratulations. And once again, Chase Elliott, a second-place finish. Look at the number of drivers showing Matt Kenseth the respect. The appreciation for what Matt Kenseth has done in this sport, the appreciation for how good he still is. You're telling me this guy didn't have a ride next year? It's ridiculous. Kenseth earned his 39th career win and first at Phoenix in 15 years. Chase Elliott finished second for the fourth time in these playoffs and just misses out on Miami. Championship four drivers Martin Truex Jr., Kevin Harvick, and Kyle Busch all had top 10 finishes. Brad Kozlowski finished 16th, but that was enough to advance to the championship four. And Denny Hamlin had the dominant car, but that late crash ending his title hopes. Jimmy Johnson's bid for a record eighth title also coming to a disappointing end. Championship four was set at Phoenix. That was the big takeaway of the day, but the day belonged to Matt Kenseth with a very popular victory. And after the race, he could not hold back his emotions as he spoke with our Rutledge board. I don't know what to say except for uh, thank the Lord. Uh, it's, been a, it's been an amazing journey. Um, I know I'm a big baby right now, but uh, just got one race left. Um, and everybody dreams of going out a winner, so uh, you know we won today. Nobody take that one away from us. It's a heck of a race with Chase there. Uh, golly, just thanks, uh, Dewalt, Circle K, Toyota, all our uh, all our sponsors, and uh, JGR for a great five years. It's been. Uh, Quite the journey here the last 20, and thank you, fans. I appreciate it. Matt, to have that fan support all these years, to be able to get out here, to get that win on your own, to do it like you did with this team, 
How does that feel? Uh, I mean, it's really indescribable to be honest with you. So I always, uh, I always said nothing could replace my uh, first win. It was actually in the, the Bush Series way back when. We weren't expected to win. It was a special day. And uh, the way this year has gone, I wasn't really expecting to win today either. So this is, a, this is a special one. It beats a lot. Thank you, guys. So Relish pointed out the fan support and also the fact that Matt Kenseth has raced with some of the greatest drivers that this sport has seen. He's raced with DJ. He's raced with Jeff. He's raced with Dale Earnhardt Sr. And the list goes on and on and on, Nate. As someone who's covered this sport for a long time, what do you think it means? How special is it for a driver to be respected by almost every other driver? Well, I, I think it's everything. I think that's what we hear all the time. We heard in the discussion, I think, about the Chase Elliott, Denny Hamlin situation as well. That's essentially what a lot of this comes down to. There are a few professional sports where I think you can determine not only your fate, but the fate of somebody else. And we see that constantly in NASCAR. And I think that having that respect can determine your success level a lot of the times. And I think Matt Kenseth has enjoyed great success level because of his talent, but I think also, DJ, because of the way he was so respected by his peers. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about it. He's just, he's a tremendous competitor. He's great off the track. We've seen his wit, and he's fun to be around. Unfortunately, everybody doesn't get to see that all the time. The other side they don't get to see, too. Yeah, he's a very smooth operator on the track, but he can make that race car about 15 feet wide if he wants to do that, and he's tough out there. Don't, you know, and yeah, I'm not talking about the thing with Joey Logano of that. He, he's a tough competitor. We saw him hold off Kyle Larson just a couple of years ago at Dover. I think it was last year uh, as Larson was trying to get that first win. So he can do a a lot of things on the track that you don't see normally, but as a competitor, you realize how tough a guy this is. But he's so well respected uh, by everyone, and that does. As a as a competitor, you want that respect from your peers, and that showed up very much yesterday. And Jeff, he is not free from controversy, as DJ pointed out, but still, even those that he is tangled with seem to really be rooting for him on Sunday. Well, listen. We've all we've all done things that are controversial, and and that that just goes back to the passion and the and the energy that we that I just spoke about. Is that's that's what you do. I mean, you're competing against people uh, every single week. Things are going to happen. But you know, I was fortunate to be a teammate of Matt Kenseth, and I can tell you that in being a teammate with somebody, and Dale can 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 agree, agree or disagree with this, but when you, when you are a teammate with somebody, you really find out who they are because that teammate has to give something of himself for you to have some success. And, and you really find out who the people are that really care about you and are willing to give to something, uh, and at times do something that may hurt them in an effort to help somebody else. And I got to know Matt Kenseth to that level, and uh, that's why I have so much respect for him, is not only what he can do in that race car, but the kind of person that he is out of that race car, and also the calmness and the straightforwardness that race teams need. Uh, there's so much chaos and so much noise and so many things going on when the driver sits down in a meeting and says, look, here's the deal. And, and does it make a drama? Does it have, you know, just here's, a, here's the problem, right? And then you can go to work. I think that is so valuable to a team. And Matt was always really good at that. Yeah, I was fortunate to have a, a couple of teammates, but Elliot Sadler comes to mind just like that, much like that, in that they're willing to help you. And, and as competitors, you you know, there's some that you kind of look out of the corner, you're not sure, but Matt Kenseth is that. And, and you appreciate when you have someone like that around you. Yeah, well, we're talking about competitors, Hall of Famers of that elk. Jimmy Johnson and Brad Kozlowski certainly belong in that category. They're among the sport's best. Coming up, we're going to look at how Johnson's bid for an eighth championship came to a crashing halt on Sunday and also how Brad Kozlowski's title hopes endured that roller coaster. Day. That's next.
And the 48 is in the wall in turn three. Oh, blew a tire. Jimmy Johnson, you see the damage to the right side of that car. The hood buckled up. Sound running like, 11th. Sound like on the radio he said he blew a tire is what I thought he said right there. And a lap away. Oh. One lap away from getting the caution. Just as that happened, there were the 48 blew that right front tire. He was having a discussion with Chad Knauss and Earl as they came to the end of the stage about running the top lane and asking how high to run. They said, go to the top, the ultimate top, and that's when he had the right front blow. They're going to be heading to the garage, guys. Correct me on this, but if they go to the garage, they're saying that's it. They're done. Yeah, the dam damage on the 48 is, is very severe. The whole right side is flattened up. I mean, no way that car is going to get repaired and compete for a win, which is the goal for the 48. So I think at this point, their day here at Phoenix is done, and the chance to win an eighth title has expired in 2017. Yeah, disappointed for sure. I mean, at the last, you know, last couple of months, um, we've been staying alive, and at this stage, with the final, you know, the, the round of eight, and then to the, the round of four, you can't just stay alive. You've got to be, be hit on all cylinders, and we just haven't been there, unfortunately. Um, again, I'm very thankful for all the hard work that's gone into this and all the efforts from Chad and the team, but, but we just can't get there right now. Um, we'll try again next weekend and then uh, do, some, do some good changes over the offseason and come back next year and ready to go. Jimmy Johnson said he was staying alive in these playoffs, and these numbers back that up. So this is a look at where he was in points as it relates to the cut line throughout the playoffs, and as you can see, a very steep drop-off in the round of eight. Jimmy Johnson mustered three wins in the playoffs last year, but the 48 team really struggled to find the answers this time around, DJ. If you are the 48, and of course questions are going to be coming about what's possible, is he finished, all the times he's proved us wrong, what should you be taking from this year's playoffs? Uh, that, you know, I think the biggest thing is that they continued to battle. And, and, you know, we didn't hear them throwing things out at each other, that Jimmy's blaming Chad, Chad blaming Jimmy, anything like that. They're still a tight-knit organization and group. And I think that's the biggest thing. Because people are going to say now, I'm sure it's out there, uh, that, hey, you know, it's time for Chad to go. You know, they've got to split this up, do something different. That couldn't be further from the truth. They've just always been able to fix things, you know. And I had this conversation with them on Friday that you've always shown us that you could fix it. And they said, well, this time we haven't been able to, but they were hoping to and thought they might could at Phoenix. But if you saw our pre-race show in Rutledge Wood trying to go up Camelback Mountain uh, the other day, he made it about a quarter of the way up, and that's kind of what they were after. This wasn't Camelback Mountain. This was more like Mount Everest they were trying to climb, but kind of the same thing. I don't know that that's a good analogy, but it was kind of the same situation. They just couldn't make it. We'll always make fun of Rutledge on NASCAR America. <laughs> Jimmy Johnson had absolutely no luck. Brad Keselowski had a bunch of luck, if fair to yeah. say, on Sunday, despite starting in 16th place, picking up zero stage points and an average running position of 14.4. Brad Keselowski benefited from Chase Elliott taking out Denny Hamlin, and then further benefited from Matt Kenseth passing Chase Elliott for the win. Brad Kay advances on points. Here's what he said after. Against all odds, he's in the championship for after the day today. You know, Roger is famous for saying you got to have speed, execution, and a little luck. Do you feel like you had all the luck on your side today, Brad? Well, we probably had great speed at Martinsville, great execution at Texas, and great luck today. Uh, you'd like to have all three of them on the same day. That's really how you win, but... Um, Happy to get through. Not really the day we wanted to have to get through. Uh, we did. We just didn't have what we needed to just run up front. But uh, you know, if you look at the car, the Miller Lite Ford, uh, 
doesn't have a scratch on it. We tried to run just a smart race all day, and we knew we didn't have the speed, so you just try to be smart and put yourself in a position to, to have an opportunity for good things to happen. And you know, like you said, we caught uh, we caught some brakes. You know, the, the 11 car and all the Toyotas were just screaming fast, and, and on speed they certainly probably deserved it to transfer. But for whatever reason, that's not how it played out today. And uh, we've been on the bad side of that, uh, and this year we're on the good side of it. Hopefully we can carry that through Homestead. Kozlowski started the day 19 points above the cut line. He finished the day 19 points above the cut line. And in between, of course, very anxious moments, especially when Denny Hamlin held the lead at the end of stage two and when Chase Elliott took the lead on lap 284. You know, Jeff, this notion that a driver is lucky one day, catches some brakes, that's certainly true. But you do have to have some good moments, don't you, to be able to pull something like this off at the end of the day? Yeah, I, I think their good moment was simply uh, the, the pit strategy to pit when no one else pitted. Then uh, when other people pitted, he stayed out. And I still wonder if that strategy, moving him to within four car lengths, uh, four cars rather, of Denny Hamlin, and is that what's got in Denny, Hamlin, in Denny Hamlin's mind when he was racing uh, Chase Elliott? I, I wonder if that kept enough pressure on them to put them in an uncomfortable situation and then make, you know, make the ultimate mistake. But, um, you know, they did not run well. I mean, there's no, there's no sugarcoating this. They, they ran bad. Uh, never had speed the entire weekend. Uh, you could see it in practice. They kept looking, kept searching. Uh, none of the Penske cars ran well at all. Very surprising uh, that they ran that poorly uh, at Phoenix. I, I just thought they'd run so much better. Now they just got to regroup, right? They just got to put it behind them. Uh, they did what they had to do. Uh, they're, they're playing with house money, so to speak, and, and just go to, go to Homestead and, and go get all they can get. And, and, and one other thing uh, about Rutledge, you know, it was amazing how much <laughs> – like Mount Everest, he made Camelback Mountain look. I mean, it was, I didn't know anybody could do that, but Rutt pulled that off very well. Leave it to relish to surprise us over and over again. Listen, Miami's coming fast for Brad Kozlowski. It's also coming fast for the Xfinity Series. We're going to switch gears to Xfinity when we come back. They set their championship four on Saturday, but could a penalty seriously hamper one of the contenders? Nate's going to give us the latest on that next. Championships in both the Xfinity and Cup Series will be decided next weekend live in Miami Saturday. The Xfinity Series 3 Eastern right here on NBCSN. Sunday at 3 Eastern on NBC, the final four drivers racing for the Cup Series Championship. This past Saturday, all four spots for the Xfinity Championship were still up for grabs. Junior Motorsports, which held three of those tickets, was actually forced to race with substitute pit crews due to some travel issues. Here's how that played out in the desert. the double zero. Cole Custer going down inside the dog leg. Those two fighting for the final spot. The championship four. Remember what Cole Custer said earlier. On a cut race, I do about anything. Now let's see what he'll do. He's in front of the 21. That's going to be a two-point switch for Cole Custer. He's going to be one point back still of the 21. Now if Hemrick can hold that position and stay with the double zero, he would have a one-point advantage. They're battling side-by-side side for position. William Byron coming out of turn number four. Byron is going to win at Phoenix. The 21 of Hemrick fighting to get into the championship four, and he will do it as well. 
by all accounts, a great race and a phenomenal battle there at the end. But there was a little bit of news that came out of this, Nate. Justin Algar's crew chief, Jason Burdett, has now been suspended one race for a post-race infraction on Saturday. It involved a brake cooling hose, and now that news has come down. So what can you tell us about what that may mean? Well, this is somewhat unusual, Carolyn, because NASCAR's made this announcement about the penalty while inspection is still going on from Phoenix. They could still announce more penalties on other teams come Tuesday or Wednesday. But they made the announcement on Burdett today because, as you mentioned, they found this infraction at the track. Normally, when that happens, they announce the penalty on Wednesday. The team can appeal, and then they defer the suspension until the appeal is heard. Well, in this case, last race of the year, championship implications, they're not deferring any suspensions. So Junior Motorsports was informed today of the penalty, and now they have to choose whether to appeal. They haven't decided yet. If they do decide to appeal, all of that business will be taken care of before this weekend at Miami, so they will know whether or not they will have Jason Burdett if they were to win appeal in appeal, if they choose to do so, or if they'll have to find an interim crew chief. Okay, basically big takeaway. Everything's been fast-forwarded a little bit exactly. with the playoffs looming. Okay, coming up, we are going to hear more from Sunday's race winner, Matt Kenseth, who was in rare form during his session in the media center following the race. Plenty of laughs, as you may expect, coming up. Started racing early. Oh boy. They might have broke some of coach's rules. Matt Kenseth was in the media center following Sunday's win at Phoenix when some of the 20 teams crew interrupted him to offer their congratulations. It was we'll go another feel good moment. What crew guys look like. <laughs> from a very special win. I wasn't sure if you guys at home could hear that or not, but it's just so fun when all the crew guys come in. Um, those guys are the unsung heroes of all of this, of the NASCAR garage. It's the job of those guys to go over the wall, the pit crew members anyway, to get their drivers off of pit road just as quickly as possible with little to no mistakes. So let's hear from one of Matt Kenseth's crew in today's pick review. Trying to get that win in 2017. Comes out of turn number four. Kansas going to win at Phoenix. Hey, I'm Houston Stamper, front tire changer, number 20 car. We just won Phoenix, and uh, we had a great, great day on pit road. Passed the 11 on our last pit stop. Got Matt to lead, which was awesome, and can't thank the guys I work with day in and day out. It's a great team win. Huge victory for Houston Stamper and the rest of the 20 team as Matt Kenseth ends a 51 race winless streak. We know Matt Kenseth has a great sense of humor, and that was on full display in the media center last night. When was the last time you cried before today? Good posture, Bob. Um, before today? I wish you went to throw in that last part. I said 20 minutes ago. I'm kind of an emotional guy, typically, honestly. I just try to hide it well. That's why I was sitting in the back row of the driver's meeting. Back pew at church. Hey, this is, this is Bob's turn. If you could raise your hand, ask for the mic, and say your name and affiliation, we'd really appreciate you to follow the rules. Or we're going to find you and dock you uh, two rows in here or something. I really hate to say this, but I don't understand a word you said except for Matt. Will you check social media when you get uh, a chance tonight to see what everybody Absolutely said? Absolutely not. I do not check social media. I don't know if you know this, but there's a lot of a lot of people that say mean stuff and like to fight on there. That's what somebody told me anyway. <laughs> you know what, Jeff? He let us in just a little bit when the race was over, and we should have known that he was going to give those poor media members uh, double the trouble afterwards. And and he's right about social media, by the way. That was a, that was an accurate <laughs> statement, but uh, which I think explains why Dale Jarrett's like, I'm, I'm out. Um, 
But listen, Dale said it earlier. That it's it's he's such a funny guy, and he's so he's quick witted. Uh, you know, I can promise you, if I text Matt Kenseth something right now, the first response isn't going to be, "Oh, hey Jeff, how are you?" There's going to be some kind of response that is. Uh, uh, I, I got to be careful how I say this, but he has a very, uh, very smart sense of humor. Let's just say that. All right, yeah, we're picking yeah, up what you're putting down. One word of that, yeah, I think. we're picking yes, up yeah. what you're putting down, DJ. I know that your interactions with him and Nate, you as well, you feel the same way. Yeah, it's just so great. I mean, he brings so much more than just being a great race driver to our sport. I mean, that deadpan is what I'm going to miss. I spent my formative years in the Midwest, and that brand of humor, that Wisconsin humor. It's going to be missed when he's gone. Yeah, absolutely. All right, coming up, we're going to hear once again from Chase Elliott, who revealed on Sunday that he's been the benefactor of some sage advice about when to stand your ground on the track as a driver. We'll bring you that next. Welcome back, everybody. Great tweet yesterday on the left. Dale Jr. congratulating Matt Kenseth back in 2000 on Kenseth's first career win at the Coke 600. And then on the right, Jr. congratulating him yesterday on what could be Kenseth's last career win. You know, we've been tracking the eight greatest moments of Jr.'s career. He was kind enough to select them for us. Here's the most emotional moment of the bunch, the July Daytona race in 2001, just months after his father died on the very same track. In honor of your father, what would it mean to you personally to win this race, Dale? Well, I know uh, he's had a lot of success here, and uh, I'm looking forward to maybe having the same kind of success. To the outside for the lead in turn four. Dale Reinhardt Jr. rockets to the front of Daytona. Listen to the crowd. Here they come. It's going to be Dale Earnhardt Jr. using lessons learned from his father to go from sixth to first and score the victory of the Pepsi 400. That's, uh, that's unbelievable. Love you, man. You did it. That was beautiful. I don't think there's anybody here that didn't want to see that. I dedicate this win to him. I mean, there ain't nobody else that I could dedicate it to, that it would mean more to me. That is a moment that those who are in the sport and those who love the sport will absolutely never forget. And though Junior is the most well-known, NASCAR's had many sons following the footsteps of their father. Chase Elliott is among them, and it turns out he has learned a thing or two from his father along the way. The battle with Hamlin and the contact, any result from Martinsville, or if Martinsville never happened, do you race the same way? Wise man once told me that he'll race guys how they race him with a smile on his face. So that's what I did today. I raced him how he raced me, and uh, that's the way I saw it. So that's about all I have to say. So watch me, your father? Doesn't matter. So the question there was the wise man, your father. You're one of racing sons. I'm sure yep. you picked up a thing or two along the way. Oh, many things. We don't have enough time here. I didn't listen to nearly enough of them. But, I mean, my dad, <laughs> from the time that I was five, it was basically the same thing. Treat others the way you want to be treated. That goes for same thing on the racetrack. Even sons, Jeff, when they're not listening, sometimes they're listening, right? And, well, sometimes they're just watching and they're not listening. <laughs> and that's when it's get, That's when it's really dangerous. That's when you got to go back and say, hey, don't do that. <laughs> just a nice moment. They, although he, maybe he will grow into having Matt Kenseth's personality on the dais. But Perhaps. for now, it's all business. Perhaps someday. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all for NASCAR America. It was a good one today. We'll have plenty all week as we are getting to Miami faster and faster as the day goes by. But for all your news, you can log on to NBCSports.com slash NASCAR. We'll be back Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern with another show. Thanks so much for watching. Plenty to talk about. We'll see you then.
Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.